0: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or close it, he's in! A backhander and a slay by Tony Esposito! Stan McKee, was a, a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he wouldn't let that down! trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Navo. Perfect pick see Chicago Hockey Insider Jay Zawaski. Part no Hawks, win. Hawks win again. Chris in overtime. Part of Blue Wire podcast. He off the boards. He shoots his goal down to the paint. A game winning goal. The Hawks live to fight another day. Ball and back so drive, gets the brand score. Tames! The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago is going to be in last place forever. Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Sins-In-Law Group, Let's Drop the Puck.
1: Welcome in, one and all, this is indeed the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. This is a post-game show There was an NHL hockey game played this evening involving the Chicago Blackhawks. Unfortunately, those Blackhawks lost 4-2 to the Colorado Avalanche. I am James Naveau from NBC Chicago. Jay Zawoski of Odyssey, WBBM, I'm Fat Podcast, Big 50, Men and Moments that Made the Chicago Blackhawks. All those things, Jay Zawoski has done them and continues to do them. Buddy, we got NHL hockey back tonight for the Chicago Blackhawks, and... um, after that first period, it sure looked like we were kind of looking to return that to sender. Fortunately, <laughs> the rest of the game was at least tolerable. But again, lost four to two. Abs get the two points. Blackhawks, you get nada. Uh,
2: if you're on Twitter, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend uh, log off and put the phone away for a while and and don't look at Hawks Twitter because it is on fire right now. And as we always do, we're gonna try <laughs> to we're gonna try to count things down a little bit and pour a little bit of. Uh, Flame retardant on these flames because they are certainly needed. But thanks for joining us. Follow us on our socials at Madhouse Pod on Twitter, Madhouse underscore pod on Instagram or on Facebook. We've got a tea public sale going on right now. So go buy some Madhouse Pod merch. That link is in our bio. Thirteen dollar classic teas, up to thirty-five percent off everything else, including mugs, hoodies, phone cases, etc. All right. The start of that game. Bye, bye, bye. Yes that start of that game was a complete disaster. It was as bad as you, as it seemed, the Hawks were completely caught off guard. The Avalanche were absolutely flying. There were no nerves on the Avalanche's part. There were a ton of nerves on the Blackhawks part. And before you could blink, it was three, nothing. And when that happens, the game just kind of goes out the window. The whole plan kind of goes out the window. Um, look i was really disappointed that that's how the season began and you should be too as a hawks fan a season of big moves a season of expectations uh this is a year where the hawks are not supposed to look like this very often okay that said i'm not going to pull the plug on this team on this season they played the Stanley Cup favorite, according to Las Vegas. Yes, Nathan McKinnon was not there. That is true. Um, you saw a team that was out of sync. You saw a team that was hesitant, that was tentative. And when you do that against the best team in the West, maybe the best team in the NHL, they're going to make you pay. The Avalanche are a well-oiled machine. The Blackhawks have so many new faces. Seth Jones is new. Jake McCabe is new. Henrik Borgstrom is new. Jujar Kyra is new. Um, Going down the list, Mackenzie Entwistle is new. Tyler Johnson is new. That's that's a, a large percentage of your roster of guys playing in a meaningful game for the first time. I'm not making excuses. It's just the reality. When you see drop passes to no one and passes right off the mark and guys not being in the right place, Part of that is Jeremy Cowton's garbage system, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit here. The other part of that is unfamiliarity, and I think it will get better. Don't panic. This team is better than they played tonight, but I think we saw a clear illustration of the gap between the Blackhawks as currently constructed and a Stanley Cup favorite.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a good way to put it. It was um, a really good measuring stick game for the Blackhawks to kind of see where um, they are in terms of their improvements from last season, and it's not ideal that that happens in the first game of the season in a nationally televised format in an arena that's a mile above sea level and you can go through all these things. But I think what it boils down to ultimately is that – we were used to the Blackhawks getting boat raced by teams last season who would come out and just fire away. I think it was last season that the Lightning had the period where they got 23 shots on goal or something like that against Chicago. We got very used to that. Is that good last season with the Blackhawks. (laughs) And so to literally come out of the gate in game one and to basically have that kind of thing happen to you immediately – Less than ideal. Definitely understand why Blackhawk fans would be upset and angry about that. I know I tweeted out during the first period of the game that no player is going to look good in whatever idiotic system they were trying to run. They basically were trying to get their sea legs under him, and Colorado said, you don't get the opportunity to do that. They came out and immediately punched the Blackhawks in the mouth. I will say, not ideal you're giving up a breakaway goal to Jack frickin' Johnson. No. Um, That was Connor Murphy stepping on Tyler Johnson's skate, I believe, wasn't it? Like There was some really catastrophic moment that happened that enabled a Jack Johnson to put down his acoustic guitar and <laughs> to defeat the Blackhawks in a horrible way. Put down his um,
2: banana pancakes and his soulful <laughs> island songs and and just uh yeah. Go top shelf on Mark andre Fleury. Yeah, that's-
1: essentially, that's essentially what he did. You know what? At least he's ridding the oceans of plastic. Um, I, I just that first period, obviously, it annoyed me just like it annoyed a lot of Blackhawk fans because it was something that we got so used to seeing all of last season. But then as the game wore on, Yes, I think Colorado kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, and I think that that kind of helped the Blackhawks to even out possession numbers, helped them to even out the shots on goal quite significantly. But as the game went on, there were guys who did stand out, who had solid evenings, even amidst all of the turmoil and insanity that had occurred early in the game. And I think that list has to start with the guy that I'm sure a lot of people had his name on their lips for completely different reasons early in the game when Bowen Byram was Mm -hmm. running rough shot over the Blackhawks. And that's Kirby Dock, who ended up with five shots on goal in the game, should have had probably a couple of goals, got a – Got to work on that finish, kid. He ended up being a positive Corsi player for the Blackhawks. At one point in the game, Ian Mitchell was the only Blackhawks player to be over 50% Corsi. They did end up with seven of them at the end of the game. Kirby Doc was one of them. Had a really solid night, I thought, just overall. Played with a lot of speed, a lot of physicality. Threw a couple of nice hits during the game. Got hit with a nasty hit during yeah. the game and immediately bounced Garbage. back up and was back in the game. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, as well. But kind of a, it's our pattern, right? The games that the Blackhawks lose, we tend to try to focus on the positive first because it's so easy to immediately default to the negative. I think first and foremost, we have to praise Kirby Doc for the game that he played tonight.
2: I wrote in my uh, substack column today, I did a long season preview on the train on the way into work. And just kind of went line by line. And I said, as we've said in the podcast before, too, this is a big year for Kirby Doc. And we need to see nights where he is the best Blackhawk on the ice. And you know what? He's one for one. He was the best Blackhawk on the ice tonight. And I don't think it was really close in any way, shape or form. Yes, it's frustrating that he doesn't finish those chances, but he's getting the chances. That Mm -hmm. is key. I think there were a lot of times last year, and of course, he missed a ton of games, came in probably not 100%, whatever, but there were games where you didn't see him being much of a factor at all, right? He sort of took a step down after his good performance in the bubble against Edmonton and against Vegas, uh, sort of fell off last season. Game one, he was, I think, by far the best Blackhawk. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, 1859 of ice time, five shots on goal, three more shot attempts. A massive hit and he won 60 percent of his 5 faceoffs. yeah but hey winning three losing two that's good he was on the penalty kill he was on the power play he was really doing it all and uh that to me is the number one thing i'm taking away from this game is how good kirby doc looked how dominant he looked at times there were avalanche players that could not get him off the puck and at the end of the game when you saw the hit from gabriel landeskog that was frustration you know that was that that was Doc had his way with the Avalanche a couple times during the game, uh, physically and athletically and however you want to put it. Uh, You saw a little frustration mounting there, and I do like that there was some heat in this game. There was some tension. There was some... extracurriculars you know riley stillman getting involved in things tyler johnson who had a horrible game but was in the mix during uh several of the confrontations for a guy who's like three feet tall <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> several
1: fracases we will say freak eye
2: is that s- several fracases Ooh. are they freak eye
1: it should be frake eye <laughs> if it's not let's just let's get down to brass tacks there it should be
2: yeah so you know th- there were some like you said you and i always since we've conceived of this podcast wanted to not be the hot take set everything on fire after a loss throw a stanley cup parade after every win that's not how we do things and there are some positives to take away from this game how about that the power play the penalty kill rather uh perfect perfect it was indeed
1: perfect yeah um i do want to say that the perfect po- the perfect penalty kill had something to do with Colorado not being able to finish a couple of chances. And kudos to Marc-Andre Fleury and a couple of well-placed uh, sticks by Blackhawk forwards, I think, that prevented at least one or two power play goals. But at the same time, they looked a lot more cohesive than they did during the preseason. And I'm not going to sit here and say everything was perfect and awesome on the penalty kill. But I I do have to admit that they looked a lot better, and I appreciated how aggressive the Blackhawk forwards were really being shorthanded. Mackenzie Entwistle played a minute and a half of shorthanded time tonight. He Mm -hmm. actually was out there for a decent amount of that stuff. Jonathan Taves obviously was out there on the penalty kill. You had Ryan Carpenter. You had Doc. You had DeBringit. They all looked really solid. I thought the forward group – Especially short handed, looked really solid tonight.
2: Oh, speaking of DeBrinket, though, I, when I saw him come up from that hit, I thought, I thought we were looking at a month or two. Yeah, the way he came up holding the hand, the glove off when, for whatever reason. Whenever I see the glove off, I'm just like, oh, that's bad. And he he came out the next shift and had a nice one timer. Uh, so it looked like it's
1: rifled it's, that look, shot yeah, looks like I his don't hand. think the hand was bothering him
2: yeah it looks like his hands okay uh, I think he had a, a pretty decent game too no points for to but three shots on goal three more shot attempts had um, two
1: hits and two block shots how about that for the five foot six Alex to yeah
2: I, I you know there was some good stuff I, I do think I don't want to lose sight of the fact though that the game started the way it did And that the Hawks were not ready to play when the puck dropped. Certainly. were And look, there are a lot of reasons for that. Right. And I think things are going to look better in New Jersey for myriad reasons. But yes, the new player factor is a thing, but this team was not prepared. Colorado came out wanting to score repeatedly and did this to me and i'm it not gonna, felt like
1: game one of a playoff it, series where the blackhawks were hoping to feel out their opponent and colorado wanted nothing to do no, with
2: that they weren't having it. and i'm not going to do the fire jeremy cowlton show after every game i'm just not going to do it however for a guy who's been teflon from the moment he was hired where it seems like the only person that knows what Jeremy Counton's good at is Dan Bowman, right? This year is different, and expectations change things. And look, no one thought Dennis Savar was going to get fired, and he did. And if this team gets off to a start like this, like if this becomes the trend where the first three to five games, maybe they don't lose every one of them, but if they come out flat and they look out of sync and, and yada, 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 they're going to have to make a consideration. I think that this season, with the expectations, with the commitment made financially, trade-wise, etc., to get this team to a competitive playoff roster. This is a playoff roster. I'm I'm sorry. You know, we and I discussed it last night. This should be a playoff roster. Yes, they're in a very tough division, but they've got to be, if they don't make the playoffs, they've got to just miss it. They've got to just miss the playoffs and you chalk it up to being in a great division. But this cannot stand. This cannot be a trend. If this is a trend, Jeremy Cowton's going to have to find <coughs> another job. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care how Stan Bowman just cannot just stand by and watch this become a thing. Again, it's one game. I'm pumping the brakes. I'm trying to let my frustration with tonight and my disappointment of the first game of the year being a disappointment. Uh, I'm trying to, to power through that. But if this sort of thing, this out of sync, this out of whack, this running around, uh, you know, hair on fire kind of play continues, then they've they've got to make a move. But we'll get there. We'll have plenty of time to discuss that. I, just, I was going to say, I, yeah. just, I, just, I, I just I just I want to I, I I, think it is a coaching thing. And you you get back in the game, you score a goal, you make it two to one or three to one rather, and then you immediately take a too many men penalty penalty. And lose all momentum. It's like, God, you know. That
1: was kind of a tweener call, though, wasn't it? I thought on the broadcast they pointed out that the Blackhawks maybe should have been given a little bit of cushion based on where the guys were on the ice. Am I misremembering that?
2: Uh Yes, that that's true. But it, regardless, it happened and there was there they had too many men on the ice. And right. uh, a guy on Twitter actually tweeted at us uh L-U-K-S-L-I-81. I don't know. Luke Slee 81. Hmm. <laughs> sent me a screenshot of the moment before the Byram goal. There are seven Colorado players on the ice. Mm. <laughs> so there were some missed calls uh, for both teams. Uh, for this no one. crap.
1: There were missed calls. How does Landis only get a two minute minor for that hit on Doc? Because
2: his name is Gabriel Landis Kog. Uh, that's okay. it. It, it, hey, the dude. The dude's
1: been suspended three times. How does he have the benefit of the doubt from anybody?
2: I don't know. But if if that's Riley Stillman putting that hit on Landis I guarantee you that's a five minute. Okay. Yeah,
1: well, I was going to say that if freaking Riley Stillman were to hit, say, Nathan McKinnon like that, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure the entire arena would have collapsed because Gary Bettman would have come down in like a dirigible and would have immediately banished him from the league forever.
2: (laughs) I was so excited to hear how you were going to build the story that you were just coming up with out of the blue. Like, what's going to happen in this story? He's going to collapse the the, uh, roof of
1: ball arena (laughs) with a dirigible and he would banish Riley Stillman from the league forever
2: i like it i that's i like it i i I was so excited to see where you were going that was just awesome
1: anytime i can use the word dirigible in a podcast i feel like i've done my
2: job i appreciate Uh, it the the (laughs) the, perpetual education
1: (laughs) that's how they water the uh fourth line farm by the way is they bring in a dirigible and they just spray water on yeah
2: there you go
1: so anyway that call obviously we do you want to go ahead and get into that or do you want to get into the uh downsides of the game for the Blackhawks?
2: I think it's just a dirty hit. I think it should be reviewed by the league and if it's not it's BS it,
1: I think the- what irritated me the most about it was Darren Pang trying to defend it saying yeah. that oh like it just you know it's hard to stop yourself no and, it's not J- and Jamal Mayers just immediately says he was in a vulnerable vulnerable position Landis Cog had his hands on him decided to follow through knowing Doc was in a vulnerable vulnerable position that's it man mm-hmm. that's suspension like if you're if that is the parameter that's the thing that you're judging this hit on that's a suspension the way that Jamal Mayers described it was absolutely perfect he was in a position Landis Cog knew he was in a bad spot followed through with the hit anyway to me that is an instant suspension no questions asked
2: did you see this just popped up on my timeline Tyler Myers just destroyed Duncan Keith. <laughs> I mean just destroyed him <laughs> on a hit. Just make sure you find that uh, at some point. But Keith of course pops right up. Uh but man Tyler Myers <laughs> laid him out. Sorry, I got distracted by I saw Duncan Keith training. I'm like, "Oh god, what happened?" And uh is he dead? He he almost died, but you can't kill Duncan Keith. He, it's impossible. Um, oh good
1: grief, man.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, that was that was a rough one. Anyway, back oh, wow. to the game that sucked. Um it, we need to talk about Seth Jones and we need to talk about Marc-André Fleury because I know those are going to be the two big names. I did not have I'm trying to think back to all the Colorado goals. Did any of those like trouble you from a goaltending standpoint?
1: Uh the first one was a I guess maybe the breakaway? Slightly dicey getting beat by Jack Johnson on a breakaway. Come on man, that's a defenseman.
2: Eh, But I think to me, a breakaway is a coin flip.
1: I guess even if it is a blue liner, but there's maybe a slight argument on that. I think otherwise, no, it was just a lot of traffic in front, a lot of deflections. I thought that he, especially later in the game when Colorado kind of responded to that second goal by the Blackhawks, Colorado started to assert themselves a little bit more. So no, I don't put much of that on him at all.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I, you know, there were a couple posts hit. I like that they highlighted him tapping the post. I love that he does that, and thanks to post. And
1: he he says thank you to the post. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's gotten him this far. It's it's, it's so cute. It's yeah, working for him, uh, it's working for him in, in some way, shape, or form. And, and Seth Jones, I think, you know, he played twenty eight minutes, which is not surprising. Minus two, four shots on goal, four block shots. Uh, but you want to talk about looking out of sync? Seth Jones looked out of sync. Uh, There were a Uh, lot of those passes that were just missing the mark. Uh, There were a lot of those moments with Seth Jones in the game. And I, I I
1: thought a lot of bad pinches by Seth Jones tonight, too. I thought he tried to activate in situations that he should not have activated in. I felt like he was. I honestly think he was just trying to do too much. And I don't know if that is just a product of the game the way the game was going and he kind of felt like he had to to get the Blackhawks back in it don't know if it was a product of him trying to make a good impression in his first uh regular season game showing that the struggles of a year ago were behind I don't know what it was I felt like Seth Jones was trying too hard tonight and was making some really careless and uh unnecessary mistakes
2: yeah I think it's probably a combination of everything right? It's the jitters of your first game with a new team. It's the jitters of opening day. It's a new set of teammates, and you're down 3 nothing before you can even, you know, get to a commercial break, it felt like. And uh, you're trying to change the game. Like I said at the offset of this podcast, once it's 3 nothing, your plan's out the window, and you've got to start doing things you probably didn't plan on doing. And you're right. He hmm. was trying to activate. I think later in the game, he started, started figuring things out you saw him activating more appropriately and, and controlling the puck well. He had a nice scoring chance where he sort of fell down on his shot. Um, but got a couple shots through. Uh it looked I, pretty cool
1: when he did that.
2: Yeah, better third period. First and second were really rough for him. Um, but I thought he, he just sort of turned things around in the third. Um nice to what see What'd you
1: think of them putting him with Riley Stillman, by the way? That was
2: really quick.
1: Didn't you think that they- was so quick.
2: Yeah, he uh Colin went to that that really quickly. I was surprised to see. I, look, I know like things weren't wa- weren't working very well. Like that's a given. But it was just kind of like, whoa, they they that was, I think, in the first period that happened.
1: Connor Murphy and uh, Jake McKay both had pretty nice coursey nights after all was said and done. And they were awful early on. They seemed to rebound a little bit, though.
2: Yes, yeah, so I'm looking at the uh, ice time and absolutely Riley Stillman was with at 5 on 5 with Seth Jones for 8 minutes and 46 seconds 701 with Calvin Dehan. So more with Dehan than I thought. Um but man, it felt like they went to that Stillman Jones thing very quickly. Very quickly.
1: They they did. I thought that was a very interesting uh break glass in case of emergency pairing that I didn't really think was uh I I did not think that was going to be the go-to tonight. I really didn't.
2: No, I I just it was just a weird game, and it's, you know, we've spent 25 minutes almost now breaking it down. and I think this is one of those ones you sort of crumble up, you throw it in a garbage can and you wait to see what happens next game because it was just one of those nights and it sucks that it's opening night and it sucks that that's the bitter taste left in our mouths after so much anticipation on the season. But I'll remind people, the Green Bay Packers got their asses kicked by the Saints in the first week. And everyone's like, they're done. They're horrible. Get rid of everybody. Bad games happen. And I'm not comparing anyone on the Blackhawks to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I'm just saying that every team gets one. Sometimes it's the first week and it looks worse than it really is. Um, I don't think this team is as bad as they played in the first period. I also don't think this game was as close as it appeared towards the end where the numbers sort of evened out and you got some of those, those score effects going on, Colorado took it to the Hawks. They were the better team. They deserved to win. Uh, yeah, the Hawks tightened up a little bit towards the end, but uh, this was an absolute stomping by the avalanche. And, uh, you know, hopefully against New Jersey, the Hawks can turn things around and, and look a little more better, a little more competent. Um, and if not, then I'll start to be a little more worried. <laughs>
1: We'll see how things end up on the uh, three-game road trip and then the uh, home opener next week against the New York Islanders. Boy, can't wait for that game.
2: Should we talk a little bit about the TNT broadcast?
1: If you'd like to, sure. I think um, we should. I think we should. I mean, We talked about ESPN at length in our last podcast. so
2: Yeah, let's do it a little bit. I, In terms of the broadcast of the game, I was not as impressed... With their presentation, I thought it was a pretty straightforward, uh, you know, left to right. Not a lot of interesting camera angles. There were a few things. They had the hard shots. They had like the miles per hour graphic. Dug bat like right above the goalie. They had the penalty time on the ice. So you could see how much power play time was left without having to take your eye off the play. Did ESPN do that last night? I thought they did. If they did, I didn't notice it or make mm-hmm. note of it. The other thing was. Uh, During the four on three penalty kill, they had the three Blackhawks on the ice. I think it was Taves, Jones, and maybe Hagel. I forget who the third Hawk was, but they had them connected in the triangle, and it was showing you how the triangle was was moving along the ice as they were penalty killing. That was interesting. I don't really know what I learned from that, but it was just kind of a cool visual because it showed you why they used that defense to keep the avalanche out of that triangle, right? Like that was sort of the way they were showing it. It was a cool thing, sort of that augmented reality thing that ESPN did a lot of uh, the other night. Um, so I liked it. I thought that their studio show was better than ESPN's. Maybe. Yeah, too, maybe, I, I
1: can agree with that. Maybe too many voices. Mm, there you go. You hit exactly what I was going to say. Darn you. And
2: I, I don't think that that Rick Tocket was bad. And I like Hanson Carter. I I think you can maybe do a rotation of those guys. I think Bissonette was really good because he's the best and most entertaining broadcaster. Right. Uh, The first 20 minutes of the pregame was them just whatever term you want to use, praising Wayne Gretzky. And it was yeah, it was kind of awkward and like, wow, you know, we're just so honored to have you here and. Just do the show. Once they started analyzing <laughs> things, it was good, and I, I think Tocket and Gretzky had a really good exchange about the Ryan Reeves Tom Wilson situation. How like they want to get the fight out of the way right away, and but you know the Caps had the last line change, so they were going to keep Wilson away from Reeves because Wilson's a more effective player than him. That was interesting. Like they did get into some good back and forth hockey analysis. Uh, and you could see they're trying to maybe duplicate that camaraderie that the basketball show has. It'll take time. But I, uh, I was pretty encouraged by what I saw in their studio show. But just too many people. Mm-hmm. Too, I, I don't need five. That's, that's I was, too many for me. I,
1: I was going to comment that five is too many. I think they need to kind of split them up the way that uh, NBC used to do, where they would kind of have like the three at a time and they would kind of shuffle them out Uh Some nights of the week, they would obviously have different crews than others. I think that uh, TNT will eventually kind of figure that out. I don't think we need five guys trying to all talk over one another. I did appreciate the fact that they didn't just try to basically copy what inside the NBA did. They weren't all trying to dunk on each other and, you know, make silly jokes and all that stuff. Like that's obviously something that if it happens over time and happens organically, that's one thing. But to try to force that I think is complete folly. And I think we've seen shows on multiple networks over the years try to kind of do that, you know, backslapping, ha ha, this is hilarious thing and end up failing at it because it isn't genuine. And I think that They will be smart to continue to try to embrace some of the analysis that guys like Tocket and Gretzky are bringing in. They'll be smart to embrace kind of some of the entertainment value that a guy like Bissonette's going to bring in. I thought that if they maybe take one voice out of the mix at times, I think a four-man desk is probably going to ultimately be the way to go for them. I think they'll kind of figure that out as they move along. The in-game presentation, I – thousand percent agree with you on the fact that they just didn't seem to have the same dynamic camera angles that espn did i thought that that kind of cost uh something out of the broadcast just because i thought that espn really utilized those cameras in a good way to kind of teach you things about strategy of the game and really kind of educate people about hockey like i really did enjoy that part of the espn broadcast last night um what do you think of the booth? I thought that Jamal Mayers actually did a really nice job uh, behind the glass. I think that he might actually be better in that role than as an in-studio guy. I, I really liked what he kind of brought to the table. And as I mentioned earlier, when they were discussing the Landis Cog hit, I liked the fact that he didn't just, you know, unilaterally go along with everything that Darren Pang said. He... Wasn't a jerk about it, but he definitely pushed back on some of that stuff and, you know, gave his honest analysis. And I really appreciated that back and forth. It wasn't just like kind of an echo chamber, you know, where Edzo and where Pierre would just try to agree with Edzo to, I don't know, appease him or something. I don't know. That is not what Mayers did. And I really did appreciate that. And I thought it added something to the broadcast to have those kind of two different takes in the moment and in the game.
2: Yeah, I like Jamal better. But on the ice uh, between I like Keith Jones better that way, too, by the way, I don't know how much of the earlier game you saw. You're letting former players hear what's happening on the ice, absorb what's happening on the ice and react in real time, as opposed to having to sit there, look at the camera, think about what you're saying. They're reacting to the game as it's happening. And that's how I think that's the best way to use a former player. Right. Mm -hmm. I I really do. And I think that Jamal was good and he was always trying to. Uh, talk about the strategy, talk about like what the Hawks need to do to get back in the game. Four check with two men in, right? Like have each other's back, support the puck, stop turning things over. This is how you can kind of get the game back. And maybe you could say that was a little bit couched, but it was true. Those are the things the Hawks weren't doing. They were not controlling the puck. They were not. It, it certainly would help more a little bit more casual fans,
1: though, kind of understand why things are developing the way that they're developing. I'll kind of give him the no, I agree. benefit of the doubt on that one. No, I'm, sure.
2: I agree with you. I, I, I think that I'm, what I'm saying is hockey lifers like guys like us might say, like, well, that's kind of cliched stuff like, oh, yeah, you know, four check hard and puck support. but But it was absolutely what the Hawks were not doing. It <laughs> was what they needed yeah. to do during the game.
1: I did like at one point he said, the Blackhawks aren't adjusting at all. I don't know what they're doing. Like yeah. he, he said that during the first period and he just dropped it. Like it was as simple a statement as the sky is blue. And it was just awesome to hear that. And not some long convoluted thing about, oh, the Blackhawks are on their heels. And I, I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it was the in-flight meal and Mayers was just like, I don't know what they're doing yeah they are just sucking I well, don't even get it well I
2: think it's nice for him too to not have to worry about you know the Hawks signing his checks he can he can say what he needs to say he can analyze appropriately we know the Hawks you know especially when John McDonough was there they wanted the broadcast to be and you could offer criticism but it it couldn't be two pointed right? Now they don't have that problem anymore. Or Jamal Mayers doesn't have that problem anymore. He can say what he wants to say. I
1: thought Jamal Mayors was still doing games no, for see.
2: No, they, I thought they let him go. He was let go in the offseason.
1: Oh, it, who was I thinking of that they kept? Maybe it was Adam Burrish I was thinking of that they kept around. Yeah,
2: no, he's as far as I recall, he's not with the Hawks anymore. So um, I thought he did a good job. I, I like Panger. He's just a good personality. He's got a lot of stories. He's a likable guy. Brought the goalie perspective on a few things, which I appreciated. I thought uh, Brendan Burke did a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these things will take time. I want to say back to the studio show a little bit. I I really like Anson Carter's potential, but I think he, he needs a little more training. He needs a little more coaching on. He, to me, is a sort of cliche generator where he's just sort of saying what he feels like a, a broadcaster should be saying instead of just talking about the game he thrived at for so long. Right? And that's tough. It's it's a tough thing to teach cuz these guys feel out of their element a little bit. And I know he had some time on NHL Network and etc and in other places and did pretty well, but I think this is this is their main show. I'm not saying take him off the broadcast, but I want someone to get to him and coach him and be like, "Dude, all I want you to do is be yourself mm. and and tell us what you saw." right
1: and they'll they'll figure that out i think of as course. time wears along well, this and is... i also i will point out that anson carter was kind of on the b or the c team at nbc so kind of being vaulted up into the kind of the a team role i think he'll grow more comfortable in it
2: definitely and i it, that is part of a producer's job i know this cuz i was one and i sort of am one still in the podcasting realm that is a producer's job is to coach a new talent to get the most out of them, right? Like I, I had to work with a lot of first time, like Layla Rahimi is a first time radio host. And I had to t- sort of tell her like, hey, you know your stuff. Believe in what you're saying. Don't worry about, you know, trying to fit in or do what you think you're supposed to be doing. You're here for a reason. We brought you in here because you know what the hell you're talking about. Use your skills, use your strong opinions and just and just talk. And I think if Anson Carter gets that coaching, he's going to be great. Because I think you see those you see those moments of brilliance from him, right? And he's got a great personality, great voice. He's, he's made for it. It's just I want to see him be a little more natural. And I think now that they've got Turner, who obviously knows how to develop broadcast teams, uh, you know, working with him, he's going to get really, really good. And hopefully soon, because I, I think so, I, I want to see him succeed because I've always liked him as a player and right. seems like a great dude, too.
1: I'm definitely getting the vibe that ESPN is probably going to be more about – pomp, circumstance, and showmanship, and I think Turner is going to be about personalities and analysis, and I'm not saying either of those things as an insult. Those are just observations about what they're kind of trying to bring to what's honestly a new era for the NHL, and I love the fact that they're both treating it that way. They are treating this as a significant event that they are broadcasting these games, and I think ultimately, if they continue down that path, I think it's going to be a positive for the league overall
2: absolutely i i totally agree with you and i do like the fact i I think you said it perfectly but i like the fact that espn is making it feel big yep. it feels like a big production it feels like a big deal i went on espn.com today and kraken and golden knights were the top story on their homepage. the frustration with their lack of coverage when they did not have the tv rights because it didn't do them any good to promote hockey Now that they've got it, hopefully it turns back the other way where they are incentivized to promote it and start treating it like one of the big sports in the country. And after one day, I'm very pleased with how ESPN did. We talked about it on our season preview podcast yesterday. If you missed it, go back and listen. We spend a lot of time talking about the ESPN broadcast, but they've made it feel big. And I think that's the sort of thing that's going to help grow the game. Look, hockey fans like us are going to watch hockey regardless of what channel it's on. It's about finding new hockey fans, and ESPN is the place where that's going to happen. That's why it's a great deal for the league. And again, if if night if opening night was any indication about how these things are going to go, it is great news for hockey. And I saw the uh, Jeff agrist of the uh, Daily Herald tweeted out the uh, the ratings, and I know they they shattered some records for uh, opening day double headers. Let's see if I can find it. So here's the tweet. Um, it says, I'm sorry, I said Daily Herald, he's with the Sun-Times, said ESPN announced it set a new high watermark last night with the most viewed NHL season opening doubleheader on record. Combined, ESPN averaged 884,000 followers over a five-plus-hour window, up 54% over the 2019-20 opening doubleheader, and up 19% over the 2020-21 season opening triple header. So, good first day for ESPN. Good for them. And we'll see, we'll know. Good for us. Yeah, we'll know tomorrow how things went for Turner. Before we wrap up, I want to thank our friends at Fry the Coop and FrytheCoop.com for sponsoring this post-game podcast. Go get the best Nashville hot chicken in the world. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights, and Tinley Park, there is a Fry the Coop near you. Again, FrytheCoop.com, check out their menu, place your order online, and go pick it up and enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back very, very soon, hopefully talking about a Hawks win. For my partner, James Naveau, this is Jay Zawoski. Thanks for tuning in to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
0: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sits in Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Ah, hmm.